Would you take your Bibles this morning, turn to Acts 16, stay standing. They say that sitting is the new smoking, and so I don't want you to die here, now, mess up the whole service. By the way, sitting is the new smoking. I'm taking a class action lawsuit against seat manufacturers. Feel free to join in with me there. As we come to our text this morning, by the way, it's cool just to be here. I saw guys uh, that I went to college with. I graduated with uh, Brother Chenard, and uh, that was awesome. And then Brother Benefield, he told me he'd be in here today, and then he heard I was preaching, so he's probably playing solitaire or something. But Brother Steve, are you here? Are you here? Oh, there you are. Great missionary. Love them. Love what they're doing in Phnom Penh. I love Cambodia. Just excited to be in the same presence as him. And he never listened to me once in college. He has to listen to me now. That's really cool. <laughs> the service will go better, the better you laugh. I know Brother Chapel's here, but we can have fun. He has fun when he's with me. So let's just have fun together, all right? I'm going to be me. You be like I want you. And <laughs> go great. As we come to our text this eve or this morning, this morning, we have to understand something really amazing has happened in the book of Acts. The council at Jerusalem, if you're a church history major or whatever, you understand this. There'd been a great debate that had been going on amongst Christianity at that time in the first century. And the big debate was caused primarily by Judaizers. Judaizers were those folks who were saying that before you could come to Christ, you first had to convert to Judaism and then you could become a Christian. In other words, they were doing what every cult alive today or around today does. And that, that, that is, they were adding works to salvation. So there's this huge debate that was going on, and finally the church at Jerusalem called a council together. Peter and Paul went there, others went there. There was debates on both sides, and then about three-quarters of the way through of chapter 15, James, who was the pastor of the church, stands up and he says this, I give my judgment. And he comes to this conclusion, understanding it very clearly himself, that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. There ever was an amen point, that is it. I don't have to do anything to be saved. I simply have to receive Jesus Christ, submit myself to him, and he becomes my personal savior. My eternal soul is settled. Christ is my king. I have a relationship with my creator. And guys, that all happened in Acts chapter 15. That is an awesome chapter. But Acts chapter 15 ends in what I would consider a really bummer place what do you mean a bummer place? Well, Paul, Barnabas, this A-team, the best team ever, in my opinion, of mission work, Paul and Barnabas get into an argument. And the argument is so divisive that they separate from one another. Paul takes Silas, many of you know Barnabas takes John Mark, and they go their different ways into ministry. Barnabas takes John Mark, and they leave Antioch, and they head towards Cyprus, Barnabas' hometown, visiting churches west to east. Paul takes Silas. They leave Antioch. They head east to their first visit at Lystra. I mean, it's a bummer thing. But through that, we see God do something amazing in the calling and the using of a young disciple named Timothy. It's awesome. 
I love Timothy. My brother's name's Timothy, so I almost don't like Timothy. I'm the youngest. I, I'm the youngest of three kids. My brother is five years older than me, and he thought it was his God-given responsibility to beat me up every day of my life. How many of you have an older brother like that? How many of you are the older brother like that? <laughs> For the chapel's younger brother, Steve and I are great friends. I've heard stories, <laughs> many of them. My brother used to beat me up all the time, and struggle with that. This is a powerful, powerful chapter. And we're just going to look at the first five verses this morning. So if you have 16, verse number one, let's read there. Then came he to Derby. Paul came to Derby and Lystra. And behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewess and believed, but his father was a Greek, which was well reported. Timothy was well reported by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium. Him would Paul have to go forth with him and took and circumcised him because of the Jews that were in those quarters, for they knew all that his father was a Greek. And as they went through the cities, they delivered them decrees for to keep that were ordained of the apostles and elders which were at Jerusalem. And so were the churches established in the faith and increased in number daily. Father, I pray you'd bless the reading of your word today. I pray you'd help us, draw us closer to you, use us in a great way. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. Uh, I meant to do this earlier. COVID was weird. I mean, it was really weird. And our church is uh, all across the country, we're facing great, all across the world, we're facing great struggles. And I just think we should do this. We've honored a lot of folks, but some of the great leadership that was a huge encouragement to me and our church was from Dr. Chapel. Would you thank Dr. Chapel for his just tremendous <laughs> leadership? I know that you think, oh, he just made decisions, other people carried it out. I lost more sleep over COVID than I've ever lost in my entire life. I mean, I'm just telling you, you're trying to figure it out and weigh whether or not you're going to go to jail or not. I, I, your faith for the chapel was a huge, huge testimony to our church, to me, helped me tremendously. And I meant to say that earlier, and I just got excited about being up here, and I forgot. So, Timothy. Paul goes to, you got to keep this in mind, Paul's finished his first missionary journey. The council at Jerusalem is over with. The council at Jerusalem is done. They're getting ready to leave on another missionary journey. And that division between Paul and Barnabas has happened. And Paul now takes Silas and Paul's missionary team is, is new and different. And they're trying to learn one another and figure one another out. And Paul goes to Lystra, Iconium, it says in our text. And you got to understand something about this region. This was not a, a place with a lot of great memories for the Apostle Paul. It it was in Acts chapter 14, 19, and 20 when Paul was in Lystra and Iconium that the Jews from Antioch came there. They stirred up the Jews of Lystra and Iconium, and Paul is stoned and left for dead. They left him for dead because they thought he was dead. They weren't wanting to give him a second chance. They literally thought he was dead. He, he, he gets back up, and he goes on, and Paul continues in service, and then he comes back to this same place. I find that amazing. Because I know in my own life so many times that if something bad or difficult happens, I, in my flesh, try to avoid it. Matter of fact, church members that don't like me, I try to avoid them. 
Sometimes I try to avoid my wife. I like to avoid difficult circumstances and difficult situations. And Paul is such a great example of going right back into the fight. And he picks that place, that first stop on the journey. Hey, let's go back to that town that stoned you and left you for dead. Dude, that is something. That's amazing. Well, when he gets there, he's minus a key figure on the team. Timothy. Well, Paul knew Timothy. We believe that Paul is responsible for sharing the gospel, and it was through Paul's uh, guidance and evangelism that Timothy accepted Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. We read about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 7, where Paul says, I sent unto you Timotheus, who is my beloved son and faithful, faithful in the Lord. 1 Timothy 1, 2, unto Timothy, mine own son in the faith. 2 Timothy 1, 2, to Timothy, my dearly beloved son. I mean, it seems as though Paul is the one who is responsible for Timothy's conversion, for Timothy coming to Christ. And when Paul gets to Lystra and Iconium, it's, it's Paul and Silas, it's only Paul and Silas. Silas, and they needed somebody else to the team. And I want you to notice something in verse number two, Paul, it's mentioned about Timothy and his mother, who was a Jewess and a believer. She was a follower of Christ, but his dad seems to not be a believer. He was a Greek. There's nothing known about Timothy's father being saved. And yet the men of Lystra and Iconium in verse number two, they report well of the young brother, Timothy. Well, what does well-reported mean? It needs to be lauded, to be given a claim, to be given a good report. It's, it's like this. Like Paul is sitting around with a group of men and they're just having a conversation and he loved the men of Lystra and Iconium and they loved him. And they say to the apostle Paul, hey, Paul, I, I noticed that Barnabas isn't with you. You have Silas, but you don't have anybody to take care of your needs. You need somebody to really take care of your needs, to wash your clothes and cook your meals and help out. And that was really what Timothy's job was going to be. That was John Mark's responsibility. If you look earlier in the book of Acts, that was John Mark's responsibility. And Paul, who are you going to get to do that? And in my mind, it works out this way. Paul says, I don't know, guys. We're just kind of praying that God would deliver or give us somebody like that. But we have nobody in mind. And it's like one of the guys in the circle goes, hey, have you thought about Timothy? Well, Paul knew who Timothy was. He led him to the Lord. I mean, Paul knew him. And it, it happened a long time prior. And Paul goes, is he still faithful? Oh, Paul, you've got to understand. He is an amazing kid. He's a great kid. He's a faithful young man. He is well reported of by the brethren. There are the city of the church in Lystra and the church at Iconium. I mean, Timothy had a reputation of being someone who was faithful and committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you read this text, you don't see that Timothy was faithful because he wanted a job. You don't even see that Timothy was faithful because he wanted to get into his local Bible college. Timothy wasn't faithful 
because he was hoping that somebody would recognize him or notice him. We don't have any of that in the biblical account. What we have is that Paul has a need. The men of Lystra and Iconium notice the need, and they simply point out to the apostle Paul that here's this young dude in our church, and we think he could possibly meet the need that you have. Timothy was active in ministry. He might not have been getting paid to be in ministry. Timothy was just a man who who was serving the Lord. And I want you to notice that his calling was a calling that happened externally. I would submit to you this, that there probably needs to be more calling by the church corporate body. Meaning that the men in your local New Testament church the pastors, the leaders in your church ought to recognize something about your character and about your proficiency and your gifting that says to them, I think God might do something with them. I tire sometimes of people thinking that Bible college is a reform school. I mean, I went. Well, not to reform school, but to Bible college. And it was interesting to me because I went and I was told, you really should go to Bible college. Why? Because you have nothing to do in life. As though ministry is kind of the last ditch effort. And I'm thankful for what God did in my life in Bible college, but I just want to be super clear that the character of the young man, Timothy, which should be a model to all of our character, was not a character of someone just sitting around waiting for something to happen. He was someone who was already faithfully serving the Lord, and the call on his life was initiated by the men in the churches of Lystra and Iconium. You say, well, do you think God had anything to do with it? Well, obviously God had everything to do with it. But Timothy wasn't running around looking for something to do. He was already fully engaged in the work that God had called him to do. Can I say something to those of you who are graduating? I don't know why I said, can I say something? I'm going to do it anyway, and I'm not concerned at all about your permission To those of you who are graduating, I find it troubling sometimes that you go to a ministry and you get in that ministry and three, six, nine, 12, 15, 18 months later, you're looking for some new ministry to go to. You're in it and then you want to find something else and then you want to find something else and you want to find something else and you want to find something else. And, and I hear this, I live in a very transient town where people come through, a lot of folks, a lot of different people from different Bible colleges all over the world. And I hear on a very consistent basis, meaning several times a year probably, well, that just didn't work for me and that didn't work for me and that didn't work for me and that didn't work for me. Can I tell you that Timothy wasn't looking for something that worked for him? He was looking for an opportunity to work for God. And that's what our calling is. But you're like, dude, pastor, it stinks sometimes. All right. You're not alone. Look at verse number three. Him, Timothy, would Paul have to go forth with him? And took and circumcised him because of the Jews which were in those quarters, for they knew all that his father was a Greek. 
And Timothy's calling was initiated by the men, but I want you to notice Timothy's crucible. Now, understand this. Paul is the apostle or was the apostle to the Gentiles. Romans chapter 13, verse number 11, and knowing uh, the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep for our salvation is, is nearer than we believe. Paul talking to the Gentiles, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse number, seven, uh, verse number 7, Paul says to Timothy, I am ordained a preacher and an apostle. I speak the truth in Christ, I lie not. Teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. Paul is an apostle to the Gentiles, but he takes Timothy, and dude is 17 years old, and Paul says, we're going to circumcise you. In our church, they would have laughed, because that's painful. And why are we going to circumcise you? Well, we're going to circumcise you because there's some Jews in the area who know that your dad was a Greek and he's not a Jew. And it would, listen to what I'm about to say, and it would impact our ability to share the gospel with those Jews that I'm not called to. So I'm going to go ahead and have you circumcised, Timothy, if you're up for it, so that the gospel will have free course in the lives of the Jews who are in this part of the world. And we don't want your Greekness to be an obstacle to the presentation of the gospel. So Timothy, if you want to be a part of the team, you, you got to be circumcised. I'm telling you right now, I'm not joining that team. I'm like, bro, I love you, but I'm joining Barnabas's team. <laughs> You're probably going to do greater things in the world than Barnabas, but I'm on his side. I just, I don't... It, and, and, and here's the reality. Titus uh, chose not to be circumcised, Galatians chapter 2, verse number 3. But Paul had Timothy. He, he, he went through a crucible. I, I want us to understand something foundationally as far as our walk with Christ goes and ministry goes. There will always be a crucible in your journey of ministry. What do you mean crucible? I mean a very, very difficult circumstance or time. Always. That's not unique to you. Every one of us have that. I, I tire of hearing people say, well, pastor, it was hard. What, would you think it was easy for anybody? I mean, let's go back to the book of Genesis. Abraham. I mean, Abraham was a, a man of tremendous faith. He's in the heroes of the faith. There's more said about Abraham and his faith, the friend of God. I mean, everybody who studied the scripture, you all know about Abraham. Abraham, a great man of faith. Here's what God said to him. Abraham, I want you to leave Haran where you're making money hand over fist, where life is going great. You're doing awesome. You've got great servants. You're one of the wealthiest men in the world. I want you to leave Haran, and I want you to be a nomad and wander around this Canaan land, and I'm going to give that to your offer spring. Well, Lord, I'm 75 years old. My wife is 10 years younger. How are you going to give us a kid? Just trust me. So he trusts him and he waits 25 years wandering in the wilderness for God to fulfill his promise. You think that was easy? What about Elijah? Hey, Elijah, 
You're doing great things. You, you, you're defeating the armies of Baal or the worshipers of Baal. First Kings 17, uh, uh, you pronounce drought on people who, who are uh, antagonistic to me and abusive to the nation of Israel. Uh, there's going to be this huge drought. I want you to go to the brook Cherith. I want you to drink water from this little brook. I want you to eat uh, food from the hand of the ravens. Ravens don't deliver food. Ravens take food. And then when that runs out, I want you to go to Zarephath, and I want you to eat meal, a little cake from a widow woman there who has no food, and she's got enough to sustain you. I, I just simply want to say this, that as you live for Christ, and we could give example after example after example after example of every single person who does anything for the Lord is going to go through a crucible of faith. My wife and I left Texas Amarillo, Texas, where I was a youth pastor for six years and felt the call of God in our life to move to San Diego and start a church. And we sold our house there for $55,000. That's cheap. We moved to San Diego. There was zero chance of us buying a house. We had $1,800 a month support when we left Texas and went to uh, San Diego and we rented a house for $1,700 a month. We had 18, rented for 17. We had $100 a month left over to blow on anything we wanted. <laughs> I mean, we could buy food or gas or anything. It was awesome. A thousand pennies. And taking our life savings to start the church, literally every dime that we had, we put it in there. Our oldest daughter, Judith, was six at the time. Natalie was four at the time. And, and I've got two mouths to feed a wife, $1,800 a month coming in. Uh, no, no prospects of any building, any facility, no idea where God would have us to go. All of the logistics that we had done didn't work out. The market had just escalated like the day we got there. It went through the roof. Houses that were, you know, eight months earlier were selling for, that were selling for 150. When we arrived, we're selling for 275. I mean, it was crazy. We started looking for a place to meet. I mean, just a place. I went to the first place, they turned me down. Second place, they turned me down. Third place, they turned me down. Fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth, eleventh, twelfth, thirteenth. Somewhere around 13 or 14, I asked a guy, I said, why won't anybody rent to churches? He said, well, number one, we're not sure you're going to be able to pay us. And number two, the market is exploding so we can get way more money from somebody else than if we ever can from you. Two weeks, eight hours a day. 10 days, Monday to Friday, I'm just looking, looking, looking. I was driving down Arrow Drive one day after having looked for about six hours and I pull off on the side of the road and I just began to weep. And I remember this prayer, God, what on earth did you bring me out here for? And I just wept there. I didn't want to tell my wife that I was crying because I told her I was a man when we got married. She had been doubting that for some time, and I didn't want to confirm her suspicions. So I'm just sitting there going, Lord, you got to do something. I had a decision to make right there. Am I going to push through this, or am I going back to Texas? 
Am I going to go back to where my mom and dad are and be a youth pastor there or get a job or start a business or whatever the case may be? Or am I going to keep pressing on until every single door is closed? And I'm thankful that by the grace of God, we pressed on and found a place to meet. And 18 years later, we're still meeting every Sunday doing the exact same thing. But I want to convey to you very, very candidly and very clearly that there is a crucial that you're going to have to go through so that your faith is tested. So I, I believe it for this, so that you know what God is capable of doing through you. And Timothy's commitment we see in four and five, they went through the cities, they delivered them, decrees to keep and were ordained to the apostles and elders, which were Jerusalem. And so were the churches established in the faith and increased in number daily. Hey, Timothy, you're 17 years old. You want to go with me and Silas and encourage the churches? Oh, dude, that sounds awesome. Yeah, I'd love to be a part of that team. I'll do that. Okay, before we go, you got to be circumcised. <laughs> All right, I'll do that. That process happens, healing happens, whatever the case may be, and then they finally take off. And they deliver and they encourage and they equip churches and people are saved and people are saved according to the scripture. People are saved daily. The churches are increased. They're established in the faith, the faith of the gospel, the New Testament faith that is, that is given to us by God. Churches are being started, established, increased, encouraged. And this is happening every single day of Timothy's life. But if you study out Timothy's life, it never gets easier. It never becomes a cakewalk. It never becomes like, oh, now we're on easy street and we're riding the wave and things are awesome. About every time we start to ride the wave at Canyon Ridge, it crashes in over us. Those of you from other parts of the world that don't have the ocean around you, you don't get surfing analogies, so I'll help you. I love the water. I love the water. I, matter of fact, I'll often have pastors in Southern California, we'll meet together and we meet together and go boogie boarding or surfing or whatever. Why? Because uh, we can. <laughs> you say, well, I go hiking. Sorry. I'm sorry. I, I wish you lived somewhere else. Come to California. Don't complain. Just move. And so we'll, we'll go out there. But there's, there's, there's few things in life to me that are more peaceful and amazing, uh, then you gotta get a really good boogie board. Don't buy it at Walmart or Costco. Those are cheap. You gotta go to a good surfing store and you gotta spend like more than $23.97 to get a good one. And when you get a good wave and, and you turn the boogie board in and it begins to barrel over you or you're in the tube and you're just riding through there, I'm just telling you, I don't know how you feel about it, but to me, that's one of the most peaceful places you would ever be in all the world. All you're thinking about right there, and when I'm in there, I'm thinking this, like, oh my word, nothing is as good as this feeling. I hope this could last forever. And just about that time it crashes, I go under, I hit a rock, I pass out, I have to go to the hospital. It's life for me. But you know what? There's a principle that I want you to understand. And the principle is that often in life, we go from one difficult situation to another difficult situation, to another difficult situation, to another 
another difficult situation. Why? Come on, Genesis chapter 3, we live in a sin-cursed world. We have this idea, I think, sometimes in American Christianity that eventually it'll get better and every region of the world will turn into Mayberry, the Andy Griffith show, those of you that are young, that everything will turn into Mayberry and eventually life will just get fantastic. That's not what Paul says. Paul is ending his life, his, not ending his life, his life is about to end. Boy, you don't want to mess that phrase up. <laughs> and his life is about to end. And he says to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 1, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. From the things which thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Thou, Timothy, therefore endure hardness. Hardness? Yes. Your call to ministry was a call of God on your life to a life of difficulty and challenge. I think sometimes we do a disservice by saying ministry is the greatest life ever, and I would agree to that. It's the greatest life ever, but it's not the easiest life ever. Endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who had chosen him to be a good soldier. God's called you to be a soldier. Don't, don't get wrapped up with the affairs of this life. Don't let your life be, life be consumed with the latest Instagram post or TikTok ad or some dude in some part of the country or world who's ticked off at a pastor who loved him and led him to Christ and discipled him and now he's mad and because he's mad, you're mad because you saw that he looks like a cool guy on Instagram. Don't get entangled with that. So he might have a point. He might not have a point. I'm tired of internet theologians. It just tires me. I ask people, did you come up with this question on your own? Because this sounds like something somebody sent me on Facebook just the other day, and they turned sheepishly red. I'm like, you didn't come up with this in your private worship time when it's you and Jesus. He's ministering to you, and you're over here online going, what are their problems with the independent Baptist movement? Hey, there's problems in the independent Baptist movement. Why? Because there's sinners who are in positions of authority. You say, who? Us! You can't mean those men up there are sinners. I'm telling you, I've driven with Brother Chapel. That dude is a sinner. Let's watch him. He doesn't really speed that bad, but he's just all over the road talking, sharing leadership principles. I'm like, that's a telephone pole. I don't want to see Jesus right now. I am expecting the rapture. This should not be it, you know. We have problems. Endure hardness. 
Some of you are going to go to work for pastors, and this is what you think. You're going to think like, oh my word, this is way more difficult than I expected. Yes, you are entering into the most difficult field ever. Why? Because you're entering into a spiritual warfare. It's a spiritual warfare. People don't like you. Paul says, fighting's without, fear's within. I'm being attacked on the inside out. My flesh fights me. People fight me. There's just attack after attack that is going on. Endure hardness. And when does it get easier? Well, we know fundamentally it gets easier when we are with the Lord. So we have to remember that this world is not our home. That's why Paul says we're strangers and pilgrims on this earth. We, we're, just, we're, just, we're just camping here for a little while, and we will soon be with the Lord. When does it get easier? Well, I love to work out. I want to thank all of you who watch my wife post my videos on Instagram. I feel very weird about that. People walking up going, hey, I saw your lift the other day. And I'm like, Debbie, what did you do? <sighs> Natalie, stop it. Stop it. I, I now have to watch my kids because they try to like sneak a, a video in because we'll like have family fun time. And, and just so you know, I find myself rather awesome. It's being stupid. I, I, I like to have fun, and we joke around a lot, and I, we'll just do dumb stuff, and they'll try to video to get me, you know, so that you guys will go, oh, that's funny, and I, and I feel like an idiot most of the time. But I, I, I love to CrossFit, and, and it's a lot of fun for me, and, and uh, the, the rumor has been asked several times since I've been here, uh, Pastor Chadwick, do you really require your staff to do CrossFit with you? Yes. <clears throat> All of them. I just hired my sister. We have a staff member that, that my dear friend, Anthony King, who we call about his church, just hired. And they'll be moving there in a couple of weeks. And, and I just hired my sister, who's 55, and her husband, who is quite older than her. He's 71. And I just hired them to take their spots. And my 71-year-old brother-in-law will be starting CrossFit with us in the middle of June. You say, well, it might kill him. Yeah. He's my brother-in-law. Nah, it's no big deal. <laughs> but I, I had a friend of mine, uh, a young man that graduated uh, college recently, a Christian college and serving in ministry, uh, another ba independent Baptist college and serving in ministry. And he called me. He said, hey, Pastor Chadwick, uh, I, uh, I'm very close to him. He calls me Uncle Chris. He said, uh, hey, I, I'm doing CrossFit now. What do you think of that? And I'm like, oh, that's awesome. Way to go. He goes, I have a question for you. I was like, sure, what is it? He goes, when does it get easier? I said, <laughs> seems Gary. I said, Gary, it never does. He goes, what? I go, yeah, it never does. He goes, well, you don't seem to have the, the pain that I have. Like, no, I don't. He goes, why is that? This is what I said. Because you're a loser, dude. I don't know what else to tell you. That's exactly what I said to him. They're like, no, you're not a loser. I'm just kidding. I said, because you're new at it. It's tougher for you. But if you'll keep after it, give it three months, give it six months, you'll be way better off than I am. You're a lot younger. You'll be there. 
And I said this, just endure it. He goes, well, I wanted it to be fun. I said, then you should have jazzercised, bro. This isn't fun. <laughs> you just got to endure it. You, you got to get through it. I said, literally, I said, there have been many workouts in the middle of the workout where I'm praying for grace and hoping I don't throw up. He goes, you got to be kidding me. I'm like, no. He goes, it never gets easier. No. I said, when it starts getting easier, you add weight so that it gets harder and it gets harder. You, you say, well, when does ministry get easier? Prayerfully, it never does. When it becomes easy, then God adds something more to our plate, or COVID happens, or there's another opportunity, another ministry, another way to evangelize people, another means of reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, what am I supposed to do with all that? Endure hardness. Well, how can I do that? I'm so weak, right? And if you can acknowledge that early, that's when ministry becomes fun. Because it is through your weakness that God's strength is shown. His strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I glory. I'm going to glory in Christ. Because I know I can't do it. I know I can't succeed. I know this crucible is more than I can handle. But the grace of God is ministering to me and helping me and pushing me and, and, and uh, giving me abilities that I know I do not possess in and of myself. So I can be circumcised and I can travel with Paul and I can endure the beatings and I can endure the difficult people in Ephesus and I can endure the struggles and I can set things in order. Why? Because the grace of God has ministered unto me. My prayer for you seniors that are leaving is I know the statistics and they're discouraging sometimes, but you've been trained in a great Bible college You've been trained by great men who are mentors of mine. You've been trained by people who have endured difficulty. And that should motivate you when you are going through difficult situations that if God can use these men, these instructors, these pastors, then God can use me. Our church is 10 minutes from the Naval Amphib Base Coronado, where the Navy SEALs train. It's where BUDS happens, all of that. Our church has the distinct privilege of having been the only church in history to have an activity where we ran the Navy SEAL obstacle course. It's pretty awesome. That was pretty awesome. Natalie was 14 when she ran the Navy SEAL, or 12, when she ran the Navy SEAL obstacle course. How'd she do? Well, you can ask her later. <laughs> but they did ask her to be the first ever Navy SEAL girl. <laughs> we have six or seven guys going through buds right now that are in our church. They've been rolled back because of injuries. And it's interesting to talk to them because you know what motivates them? I'm just trying to get in their head and figure it out. What, what motivates you? And they have motivations for patriotism and everything else. But one of the things that motivates them is 
they just want to do something really, really difficult in their life. And then Dr. Getz, they say this. I know if this guy did it, and they'll mention somebody's name, then I know I can do it. And could I say to you, graduates, that if Chris Chadwick can do it by the grace of God, and my beautiful wife, Debbie, if we can, God can use us, he can use you. And he not only can, he desires to use you. He desires to use you to make himself famous. And so draw from the resources around you. Look to those who have encouraged you and trained you and taught you. And when the situation gets difficult and life gets hard and circumstances feel like they're going to be overwhelming, remember that the grace of God has ministered to every man and woman of God and He has got them through a similar circumstance and a similar crucible. And they are still actively, joyfully, faithful faithfully serving the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will too if you trust in Him. But if you get your eyes off, your, off of the Lord and it all becomes about you, it won't be too long until you're just another statistic. You're not graduating to be a statistic. You're graduating to be a lifelong servant of Christ.